There are some books of the Bible that are not considered official scripture, official books that are in the canon of various Christian sects. Sometimes these books, when they're not included as part of the official Bible, are included in the Bible as so-called apocrypha. The terms uh, derive from a Greek word, apocrytin, meaning things that are secret or to hide away. The issue is the authenticity or the legitimacy of such a book. Its supposed origin is in question. Apocryphal books are thought to be of dubious authenticity by at least some Christians. There's one very short book that's included by some Protestant faiths as being apocryphal, but is in the official canon of Eastern Orthodox churches. There's good reason for this book to be considered of dubious authenticity. Manasseh is the supposed author of this book or prayer. He ruled as king of Judah, the southern part of Israel, which included Jerusalem, from about 698 to 642 B.C. But almost certainly, this prayer was written somewhere between the century just before Jesus was born and the second century A.D., several hundred years after Manasseh died. Before we look at this apocryphal prayer, I'd like to first talk about a girl who was part of a group of kids I played with when I was little. I grew up in Oxnard in Ventura County, north of L.A. proper. It was very near the ocean, and back when I was a boy, there were still some orange and lemon groves and berry, beans, and lettuce farms, and even a few avocado groves in the area. I believe that they've all since been replaced with cement and steel. On Saturdays and in the summer, we used to go to the edge of town and play in those last remnants of this rural part of Ventura County. We would ride our bikes along the farm windbreaks. They were long lines of eucalyptus trees. There was a walnut orchard. The farmer said that we could stop there anytime and have walnuts, which we did frequently. The only rule was that we had to eat all our walnuts on the spot and not carry any out. One of our favorite games was hide-and-seek. We would go very far to hide using old barns, groves of trees, stacks of hay, irrigation ditches, and horse stalls to hide in. One of my favorite hiding places was avocado trees. They were short and easy to climb with thick, dense leaves to hide among. I would often come home covered with the moss that grew thick on the avocado trees. One day, we were playing hide-and-seek, one of the kids, let's call her Lucy, was never found when the game ended. So we sent out a call for everyone who was still hidden to reappear, but she still didn't show. At first, we didn't panic. We often hid far away. After we had all spread out and searched the broader area, though, Lucy still hadn't been found. A few of us remained on the edge of town and kept looking for Lucy. 
The rest of us rode our bikes to Lucy's home to tell her mother that we couldn't find her. Soon Lucy's mom was out there too looking for her. Dark came, and still we hadn't found her. The prayer of Manessa is attributed to Manessa. Although he almost certainly did not write the prayer, the prayer is fitting with Manessa's role in Scripture. As a reminder, there are two paired sets of books, the King's books and the Chronicles books, that cover almost the same period of history. There are a lot of similarities between these two sets of paired books. The king's books were written around 550 BC during the Babylonian exile, and the chronicles were written around 450 BC after the exile. These books cover the history from King Saul, David's father, through the exile in Babylon. Significantly, the Chronicles books clean up the reputation of the various kings of Israel. The Chronicles remove a lot of the bad stuff, such as the downside of the reign of Solomon. In the King's books, we see that Solomon loses his way in the final years of his reign. But if you only read the Chronicles books, you would think that Solomon's time as a king was pretty much a total success. That makes sense. Chronicles was written later after the exile when the Israelites were trying to reestablish themselves as God's chosen people in the promised land. It was a period of renewal, not regret. King Manasseh appears in both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. But it's only in 2 Chronicles where Manasseh seems to redeem himself. So it makes sense that the prayer of Manasseh is often included at the end of 2 Chronicles. King Manasseh is an idolatrous king who's loyal to the oppressive regime of the Assyrians. He pays them heavy tribute, and he supports their military operations. In return, the Assyrians give him special privileges. He defiles the temple by putting an image of a pagan goddess there. He hangs around wizards and spiritual mediums. In the eyes of God, his deeds are so evil that they seal the fate of the Israelites and ensure the invasion of the Assyrians. This is the story we read in 2 Kings. But in 2 Chronicles, the more upbeat history of this period, Manasseh is not all evil. Manasseh strengthens the fortifications of Jerusalem. He gets rid of some of the more blatant pagan practices in Jerusalem. He has people turn back to sacrificing to God instead of to pagan gods. We read this. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his high entreaty and all his sin and his faithlessness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. 
So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his house. This passage says that Manasseh offers a prayer to God, and that God's moved by it. It tells us that he turns away from his sin and his faithlessness, and he then humbles himself before God. Thus, he's welcomed back among the ranks of the past kings of Israel. Keep in mind, though, that it is Chronicles that in general portrays the Israelite kings in a much more positive light than does Kings. Importantly, this book that Chronicles refers to, Chronicles of the Seers, which is supposed to contain the prayer of Manasseh, is lost. We don't have it. All we have is an apocryphal prayer that was almost certainly not written by Manasseh. Here is something edited from that prayer. Lord Almighty, God of our ancestors, you made heaven and earth with all their beauty. No one can endure the brightness of your glory. No one can resist the fury of your threat against sinners. But your promised mercies are beyond measure and imagination because you are the highest, Lord, kind, patient, and merciful, and you feel sorry over human troubles. You, Lord, according to your gentle grace, promise forgiveness to those who are sorry for their sins. You offer me, the sinner, the chance to change my heart and life because my sins outnumbered the grains of sand by the sea. My sins are many, Lord, they are many. Now, Lord, I suffer justly. I deserve the troubles I encounter, but I bow down before you from deep within my heart. Forgive me, Lord, forgive me. In me, you'll show how kind you are. Although I'm not worthy, you'll save me according to your great mercy. I will praise you continuously all the days of my life. The glory is yours forever and always. Amen. Now it's quite likely that the version of Manasseh's moral regeneration, as told in Second Chronicles, is overly optimistic. At a minimum, this prayer is simply someone else's idea from the perspective of hundreds of years later of what Manasseh might have said to God, assuming he did indeed regret his evil past, as is indicated in Second Chronicles. But the prayer itself is beautiful. Who cares who wrote it? God saw to it that it was passed down, that it survived. Anyone who feels that their life has gone in the wrong direction and wants God's unqualified forgiveness might want to offer this prayer. Who cares if it's apocryphal or hidden away? A deeply faithful person who is either a Jew or a Christian, we don't know which, wrote it. Maybe it doesn't deserve to be in the canon, the official Bible, as it postdates its supposed authorship by hundreds of years, but it deserves to be remembered. What about Lucy, the kid who was playing hide-and-seek and then disappeared? We searched for her for a couple more hours. Other parents joined in. Then a nearby farmer drove up to the group of us. Lucy had worked so hard at making herself difficult to find that she got totally lost. 
She had been wandering around and finally sought help at a farmhouse. She was tearful and shaken, but she was okay. A responsible adult, someone who did what God wanted him to do, had taken care of her. Lucy's mother then led us in prayer, acknowledging not just God's grace in Lucy being found, but also acknowledging the debt we owe God, given how imperfectly we behave in this life. As it turns out, Lucy's family was Eastern Orthodox, and her mother offered a piece of the prayer of Manessa. Now, I admit, I don't remember what part of it she said, but I do remember her showing it to me in her Orthodox Bible. Perhaps she offered this part of the prayer of Manessa. God, no one can adore the brightness of your glory. No one can resist the fury of your threat against sinners. But your promised mercies are beyond measure and imagination. Because you are the highest, Lord, kind, patient, and merciful. And you feel sorry over human troubles.